don't know what that siren. It wouldn't be a horse recording if it weren't plagued by sirens. Not the sirens. No. <laughs> they sing to me. <laughs> they want me to stop recording my podcast. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schuber, and I am joined by my trusted co-host, the Knicks actually making smart decisions to the NBA offseason. It's Adam Mamola. Adam, how's it going? Wow, the level of shock in your voice says it all. I can't believe we did. It's not even that we did smart things. We did do some smart things where we got three second round picks for basically taking on a player that a team didn't want and then giving him to someone else, which is pretty cool. It's like we got a lot of interest for just like redeeming a free rebate. (laughs) (laughs) But most importantly, we just didn't do anything really bad for the entirety of an NBA offseason. And I can't remember the last time that happened. It's a good feeling, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's ridiculous when your baseline for being happy is just a bit of competence, but that's kind of where we're at. The bar is the floor. Yeah. The bar is so incredibly low. It's like I tweeted today that there was some governor, I think of Wisconsin, who tweeted today that he was submitting his application or whatever the hell to officially vote for Joe Biden. And people are like, yeah, like the bar is so low that just not breaking the law is championed (laughs) as this incredible political achievement in 2020. So yes, the Knicks just not making a laughable mistake is like, great success. Good work, everyone. No, I totally agree. And uh, I think the Bulls and Knicks are trending in the right direction, which is not saying a lot, but I do think Mm -hmm. that there are better times ahead. Hopefully we can look back to this podcast episode when there is a Knicks and Bulls Eastern Conference Finals 10 years from now, and both of our franchises are in great condition, and we can look admirably and laugh about how, oh, in 2020, we were so sad. Well, that will always be a fact, but hopefully at least (laughs) the state of our basketball teams will have improved by them. True, true. So speaking of states to improve, I want to improve my mental state by centering myself in my area of zen, which is for me, and I would hope for you as well, the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Teal's doing great. That's good to hear. That is also my place of zen. Good, 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 good. You know what else brings me zen? People that bring me zen? Could it be new patrons? It is new patrons because they help us offset the cost of making a podcast. So shout out to Caitlin Lowe and Grant Sohn, who both joined our Patreon team. And of course, a huge shout out to our existing list of producer level patrons. Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three, Bang, He Sells Seashells, LaRon James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kayoshi, and Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. Shrugs of approval. (laughs) Shrugs of approval. I forgot this was an audio medium. (laughs) Speaking of Taco Fall, I was listening to a basketball podcast by Jack McCallum called The Dream Team Tapes, which has audio clips from the interviews he did for his book, The Dream Team, this great expansive book about the 1992 NBA Olympic team. And at one point he was talking about overseas players and in the list was greats like Dirk and then guys who I personally don't like, like Kirstaps Porzingis. And then he mentioned Taco Fall, who he's very large and he's very fun. And we appreciate him inspiring the producer level patron we have. But I don't know that Taco Fall has done really anything meaningful except for, uh, I don't know, be tall? Seems strange to put him in the list of uh, a great overseas player. His greatest accomplishment is being jumped over in a dunk contest, arguably. Yeah, or getting passed over for that OG and an OB game winner that Kyle Lowry Ooh. threw the incredible pass for. He was blocking the inbound pass, but he failed to do so. So I don't know, Taco, I, I wish him the best, but I don't know if uh, NBA great overseas players is there just yet. So before we get into the episode, there's also someone that makes me very thankful. Thanksgiving just happened, and uh, it's our sponsor. Tell us about them. Our sponsor for this episode of Horse is Loot Crate. Loot Crate is the original fan-powered subscription. They partner with entertainment, gaming, sports, pop culture, all of these things to deliver monthly themed crates directly to your door. You got your crate yesterday. I did. You got the Marvel one. How was it? Mine is still in the mail. I'm very jealous. It's pretty great. Admittedly, I'm not a huge Marvel guy, but I do live with somebody who is. We're doing a little uh, Secret Santa exchange. I'll be honest, I plan to re-gift this Loot Crate, but I think he's going to really dig it. And what's cool about Loot Crates 
is that it's taking away all of the piecemeal purchasing. You know what I mean? Like if you know somebody who's really into Marvel or who's really into whatever, if you want to get them a bunch of different stuff, this condenses it all into one box that looks really cool. It's like presented well. It's really dope, unique stuff. And uh, I'm a fan. Yeah. So they have a lot of different boxes for whatever your particular interest is. Right now they have stuff for Rick and Morty, Fallout, the video game, Pixar, WWE, wrestling stuff. They've got Crunchyroll anime, like there's a whole bunch of stuff. They even have a limited edition Britney Spears box. So whole bunch of stuff available to you. And as a horse listener, you can get 15% off your first order if you use the promo code horse. So we have a link in our description. You can also go to multitude.productions slash loot crate, which will go to that same link, but use that promo code horse after clicking the link and you'll get 15% off your first order. So lootcrate.com or the link in description, use that promo code horse and you will get 15% off your first order. Totally get it for yourself. Treat yourself if you want to. And also it is gift giving season. So get somebody uh, an awesome mm -hmm. gift. Yeah, you know someone in your life that would appreciate all this Marvel stuff. You get the box and then look, it's already in a box. You can just give it to them. You don't have to do any of the wrapping or anything. And then you just get to watch them marvel at it. I'm a professional. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to our first official segment of the podcast, Full Core Press. Get it like the news. I do get it. Good. Well, there is so much news to get because... Before we did our last full core press, we said, wow, so many things happened. And then in between the two weeks between that episode releasing and this one about to release, more things have happened. Yes, and one unfortunate thing happened immediately after recording because uh, this is horse after all. This is what happens. This is how the world works. So yeah, let's get this first one out of the way. It's very sad, but Clay Thompson has suffered a Achilles injury. Never fun, but especially not fun since he was just coming off of an ACL tear and he missed all of last season. I was very excited for him to begin this season yeah. with hopefully fresh legs and it's really unfortunate and it's something that does happen usually if you get a lower leg injury your other leg is more susceptible to get one because you're overcompensating so maybe that's what happened but it seems like he's going to miss this whole season and just two full years back to back of no Clay Thompson makes me very sad it is really sad and uh, you know as a big Bulls guy and <laughs> I will not deny the fact that Derrick Rose is a fairly problematic human being but mm -hmm. just from a basketball perspective watching how his career played out and watching those years in Chicago where he just could not stay healthy and every time he came back it was something else I know how much of a toll that must take emotionally on these guys so you really got to feel for Clay in this situation I'm sure he worked his ass off to get back into shape and then for this to happen before he even gets to start playing in a few weeks it really sucks it sucks hopefully he is able to recover and come back strong people have been saying that Kevin Durant who also suffered an Achilles injury recently people have been saying he's looked really good in off-season workouts looking like his old self. So hopefully Clay will be able to get back to his normal shot-making, chocolate milk-drinking, scaffold commentary-making self. No dribbling, shooting a million threes. That, that man, we got to talk about that game at some point where he yeah. scored three times as many points as times he dribbled the basketball. What a ridiculous yeah. situation. So our hearts go out to Clay and we're very sad to hear the news, but wishing him the speediest of recoveries. Agreed. So other things happened. There were some big free agent signings that happened. The biggest one, which kind of came out of nowhere, was that the Charlotte Hornets signed Gordon Hayward to a contract worth $120 million over the course of four years. Yeah. Pretty hefty price. All of the NBA contract numbers are so inflated that you almost have to recalibrate your brain at a certain point because none of it seems reasonable. Right. And clearly COVID has not had an impact because like, you know, as a baseball fan, all I hear anyone talking about is, well, the contracts are going to be smaller and guys are going to opt in and, and not even go to free agency because they don't know if the money's there. Does not seem to have had an impact on NBA contracts whatsoever. Yeah. But I mean, that is a good thing. I would rather see money go from the pockets of these billionaires that shouldn't exist in the first place to the players, even though these players are also making gobs of money. But yeah, I mean, it's good to see that the NBA didn't really get affected by it because usually when you hear these kind of things, like the baseball owners talking about it, it really feels just like rich people trying to make people feel bad for them. Like, oh no, instead of having $2 billion, I only have 1.7. It's like, shut up. Yeah. Give people the contracts. So I'm, I'm hoping that this trend continues for the NBA, though we have seen a couple front offices, like I know the Suns laid off a bunch of people or furloughed them at least. So hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of that. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's usually who suffers is people in those smaller positions within a team, not 
the players. But in my mind, Gordon Hayward is not worth that. I'm sorry. No, I don't think he is either. But that's what you have to do to get someone to play professional basketball in Charlotte. It's not a knock on the city of Charlotte, but just the organization is not necessarily well run. Sorry, Michael Jordan. No. And they don't really have a bright future ahead of them. Maybe if LaMelo Ball pans out, things will be really fun. But I don't know. I mean, there are worse things to do than get paid $30 million a year to play basketball. No, of course not. I saw a great (laughs) tweet that was basically saying like, it's as if the Charlotte Hornets goal every year is to just be the ninth seed. Every single year, they're not bad, but they're just never a team that really competes. Mm -hmm. And it's funny you mentioned that because one of the other things that happened is with a team that traditionally was stuck in that position forever. I feel like when I was in high school and college, the Hawks got eighth every single year for 12 years in a row. And now the Hawks are really trying to get beyond that. But the way that they have done that is putting them in a position where they're probably going to get the eighth seed next year and then they hope to do better the year after. (laughs) But it is funny that they're like, you know, all those years of eighth seeding, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the Jared Dudley tweet yesterday? Yes, I did, where he announced that he was back on the Lakers for some reason. Crying emojis. At least he was making fun of himself because he he just tweeted, I'm back, parentheses, Jordan voice with two crying emojis. And what he's referencing (laughs) there, for anybody who did not watch The Last Dance, is that when Jordan came out of retirement the first time, he released a press statement that literally just said, I'm back. And then the whole world exploded. Took a full page ad in the newspaper, right? Something like that. Yeah. It was something very dramatic. That's got to be one of the highest dollar spent per words used ratios out there. How much money did it take for him to print six letters, a period, an apostrophe, and a signature? Yeah. (laughs) But yes, going back to the Hawks, they signed Bogdan Bogdanovich. So after this trade exploded in the faces of the Kings and the Bucks, the Hawks swooped in and signed him to a very big contract. They also signed Danilo Gallinari. But most importantly, the Hawks got new uniforms. They got brand new main uniforms, as well as they have special Martin Luther King uniforms that they're going to be unveiling. And most importantly, of all of this is that they got rid of their weird neon green color that was in their color scheme and the world is better for it. There was no place for it in the first place. It was kind of cool as an accent color when they were trying to make black one of their main colors. But the problem is that traditionally the Hawks were red and yellow. So to bring in a color that is almost yellow, but is not yellow was very confusing, especially for colorblind people like us. Right. Ugh. The worst. It was just so close, but then it was wrong. It'd be like if the Lakers busted out navy blue jerseys. It's like, you guys are supposed to be purple. It's so close. Yeah, it's one thing if it's like one of the smaller accent colors becoming the main color, like when the Bulls went with their black pinstripe jerseys, which Mm -hmm. were pretty cool, actually. So fresh, so fresh, so fresh. But when it's just a completely different color than what you're used to, it it just looks off. Indeed. Good things are happening for the Hawks, though. Yeah, and I don't want to jump around too much, but in addition to the Clay Thompson news, I did want to take a minute to just... It's hard to talk about, but just a quick moment of silence for um, for Nate Robinson. Oof. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, he was wearing Mets colors when he did that, not <laughs> Knicks colors, as uh, Jesus Nice pointed out on Twitter. <laughs> I'm a big Nate Rob guy. I really enjoyed when he was on the Bulls. For anybody who missed it, and I am not a boxing person whatsoever, he got knocked out in a, in a pretty... Uh, not since the days of Kermit Washington and Rudy Tomjanovich has there been <laughs> such a devastating blow landed on an NBA player because, man. It was ooh. pretty bad. And I know he didn't train a lot for the fight. I don't know what sparked the beef. I don't know why Jake Paul and Nate Robinson have beef. It's a good thing that I am not caught up to speed on Jake Paul beefs. But my understanding is that somehow they got no beef and then Jake Paul has been boxing. So Nate Robinson was like, yeah, I'll do that too. And he only trained for like a couple months and Jake Paul has been training for boxing for over a year. Also, Jake Paul's a lot bigger than Nate Robinson. So it just was a recipe for disaster. And oh, did disaster happen? (laughs) There were so many memes. But he got paid like $500,000. So also Nate Rob is in impeccable shape. It certainly was not for lack of being in shape. It's just not boxing shape. Right. So pour one out for Nate Rob. Pour one out for Nate, but catch it in a glass that you can toast and celebrate because, speaking of good jerseys, the San Antonio Spurs, after what feels like an eternity, have finally brought colors back into their jersey scheme, and they are finally, 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 finally making jerseys that embrace their old Fiesta logo, which we'll put a link to the jerseys and the logo on our episode page at horrorsoups.com. But they had these wonderful logos in the past that had teal and pink and gold, and they just never use them in anything. And finally, they're making jerseys that have them in them again. And I've been begging for this for a decade. And I'm so happy that they finally brought it back 
into the mix. It's great. Well, yeah, because they really do have probably the most boring uniforms in basketball. I mean, it's just kind of your, you know, Oakland or I guess Las Vegas Raiders color scheme, like that very dull black and Mm -hmm. silver look. But yeah, those jerseys, which were famous, I guess, in like the 90s, I think is when they were used last with like the, Mm -hmm. you know, Vinny Del Negro being on the Spurs era. (laughs) They are very fresh. And there's a lot of good jerseys coming out right now. Right. One of those, the Miami Heat just released their city edition they were apparently going to lay the Vice jerseys to rest this past season where they had the light blue ones because the Vice color scheme is black, white, pink, and cyan. And they had done all four of those. They did white, black, then pink, then cyan. All of them great. It's hard for me to pick a favorite. And the whole thought was that we've done all four of the color iterations. We're going to lay it to rest and move on to something else. But they just released these new ones that fade. They're a gradient from pink to blue. And I normally despise gradients, and I think they look really weird. I feel like they give off big Microsoft Office 2000 vibes (laughs) where you had those PowerPoint presets or those word art presets where when you were eight years old in the year 2000, like I was, you think it's very cool. But now in the year 2020, it does not look cool at all. Like the Knicks leaked City Edition jerseys, which have not been made official yet, but they have a blue to orange gradient and they look horrendous. But these Miami Heat ones, fresh as hell. They are pretty nice. Tyler here are looking swaggy as always. Mm-hmm. So those are exciting. Lots of good jerseys. Lots of bad jerseys. At one point, we will release an article once they're all official. As we do every year at Horse, we rank them from worst to first, all the City Edition jerseys. So we'll get you in the mix, Adam, to start critiquing what they all look like once they all become official. But that's the last on on Jersey Watch. The only other things of Full Court Press that we've got to talk about is that James Harden might want to leave Houston to go to the Nets. But... uh, Uh, That seems to have quieted out, so we'll just kind of put that one on the back burner for now. But if he does, that would be not fun, but maybe fun because you'd have three grumpy boys on the same team. So, you know, Team Grump. Grumpy boys are always a good time. Now, did we make mention in our last episode of the Steven Adams trade? Did we talk about Marc Gasol? No, because I didn't find the Lakers just getting a bunch of guys for really cheap interesting. It feels like they're cheating. And this always happens when a team wins the title and has open spots is that people just sign with the team for not a lot of money. And I like people getting paid what they're worth. And Marc Gasol is not worth this money, but I guess he wants another ring. So I get it. And then the Steven Adams trade doesn't make sense for New Orleans. I don't get why they did it, but Sam Presti now has, I think, 12,000 first round picks <laughs> for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I, th- I think the 2022 draft will just be the Thunder get 60 new people on their team. So that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, the Thunder are doing an impeccable job of stockpiling draft picks. Yeah. It's like how I play NBA 2K My League, where I just trade everything for a bunch of picks and then just get a bunch of created guys that don't exist because it's the year 2027. That's your approach? Yeah. I mean, my approach in 2K My League is basically draft a bunch of young people and then I'm cold-blooded ruthless. Once a player is starting to decline, they're out the door and I'm trading them for what they're worth, which in a video game works, but in the real world, as we've seen with the Celtics, does not work. But I try to get a whole lot of picks so that when there's a really good player, because like once every five to 10 years in NBA 2K, they will rightfully so in the draft put like a LeBron type guy. So in one of my fantasy runs, I traded five first round picks to get the number one pick so I could draft Leroy McKnight, who was a fictional human because it got to the year like 2024. He was this six foot eight ripped blonde dude that wore his hair in a ponytail and he had leg sleeves and arm sleeves. This is what the computer had decided. But (laughs) the left arm sleeve and the right arm sleeve were different colors and so were the leg sleeves. He looked like a ridiculous human, but he was a force of basketball. (laughs) So shout out Leroy McKnight. (laughs) We are super excited. We have a special guest on horse today. Uh, His name is Bizad Dabu. I asked how to say his name. I probably still messed it up, which I'm very embarrassed by (laughs) as a a half brown man. And yet here we are. How you doing, man? Thank you for uh, for being on with us. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's Bizad. You were pretty close. Damn it. All right. Well, <laughs> that was the other half. That was the other half did it. Exactly. That was my white half. Blame the white yeah. half. Um, yes. Besad is an actor. He's an activist. Uh, he is a huge NBA fan. Otherwise, uh, we probably wouldn't be doing this interview. Uh, we got connected actually through a mutual friend of ours who is a comic uh, out of L.A. named Fiza Dosani. A uh, very funny comic. I'm excited to talk basketball with you, man. Absolutely. Uh, I actually had heard the podcast because I'm always interested in, in things that connect basketball with like real life. Kind of the stories behind basketball basketball and not just the stats. I know the stats, but I love the stories. And um, I was talking to Fizza and she was like, you know, 
<laughs> There's this podcast that's literally that. Right, exactly. And then we had a group DM and here we are. That's right. Sometimes sliding into the DMs works. It's true. It uh, People be thirsty in quarantine times. That's what I've learned. That's one thing that I've learned this year. Yeah. Shooting the shots in a time where we can't meet. It's like it's it's kind of safer. Oh. It's like I can be bold now because there's no way we can meet. That's true. It is. It's almost like the positive version of people being like shitty on the internet. It's like I feel that there's an anonymity to me being bold right now because there's probably nothing that's going to result in this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about, I guess, yourself, your career and uh, both in terms of like what you're doing now and like how you came to be into basketball. Well, I was born in Boston and I was raised in Syracuse, New York, which is literally like Syracuse is to basketball like Texas is to high school football. I mean, mm-hmm. all they have, they're, they're not near a professional sports team. All they have is the Syracuse Orange and the Syracuse Orange is the largest basketball stadium in the country. The Syracuse Orange is like huge. Um, one of my best friends growing up was Ian Mack and he played uh, professional basketball overseas. And my other best friend growing up was Andy Routens, who was an NBA player for a couple years. Oh, with, yeah. With OKC. He was on my beloved New York Knicks. Exactly. <laughs> he was actually the Knicks first draft pick in his year and he also played for the Thunder. So he was just really great and I was so connected to basketball my whole life that I became a basketball historian. You can kind of track the civil rights movement in America through the game. You can track culture through the game, hip hop through the game, racial injustices through the game. It's really kind of amazing how much basketball has like delved into American culture. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I mean, that's what made us want to start the podcast is that it's more important in culture than just a sport at this point. There's so much that goes on from activism, but also silly things like being able to understand why Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook are feuding at each other and why Russell Westbrook is posting cryptic Instagram photos of cupcakes in (laughs) anger. Like things like that have become so prominent on the internet that now just like being relevant on Twitter, you have to understand like, oh, right. People make fun of this person because this happened. Gotta, gotta, Yeah, it's like sometimes someone who's not a sports fan is like, oh, the numbers are so boring, but you can make the numbers exciting. Like I could talk to a person who's not a sports fan and say, okay, look, you're not interested in the salaries and the numbers, but what if I explain to you that every team has the same amount of money to spend And they have to determine who's more valuable to how to spend that money to make it even for a team like Milwaukee to be able to compete with a team like New York. And, you know, when you start explaining, like, so they give this player 40 million and the other players only get 8 million and then they have this issue, but the player with 8 million outperformed the player. You know what I mean? Like, you can make a story out of it. You can make it exciting. And then someone's like, oh, I am interested in the idea that the guy who makes less is outperforming the guy who makes more. And now there's a problem, you know? Yeah. Even a casual fan would be like, there's no way Gordon Hayward is worth that. He's just, he just isn't. (laughs) Exactly. I saw a tweet that said, uh, Gordon Hayward's contracts proves that the NBA doesn't think Black Lives Matter. Oof. <laughs> oh, brutal. Oof, oof, I was like, brutal. Oof. That's rough. <laughs> Especially this on the Hornets who have a history of drafting white guys way too high and now overpaying white guys. It's not a good look for Mr. Jordan. I'm going to say the wrong stat, but I saw it. It was like, there's only three people in NBA history who signed two deals that large after turning 30. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Gordon Hayward. The big three. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when people argue who's the best player of all time, it's usually those three players in discussion. (laughs) Yes. Is there a particular team in the NBA that you support? Or are you just a fan of like individual players, particular teams in the moment? Kind of all of that. Um, So it's hard to say what I'm about to say because of who just won. But I actually am a lifelong Laker fan. Mm. But but it's not a bandwagon Laker fan. I've been a Laker fan since like 94. Since the Nick Van Exel years. Yes, since the Nick (laughs) Van Exel. Actual Cedric Sabalos, Eddie Jones um, years. I was always a Kobe fan, even at Lower Marion. That was kind of perfect for me. And then I stayed with them throughout the the bad mid-aughts and, and the bad 2010s. But I do follow every single team in depth. So whenever I talk to a, an NBA fan, I'm like, whatever team you're a fan of, let's talk about that team. Because I, you know, you <laughs> I could talk about Charlotte or Detroit or Orlando as much as I want to talk about the Lakers. So I'm a, I'm a huge NBA fan. That's great. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Kyle Kuzma? I feel like the He's a, the most divisive Laker. So I, I like to get Laker fan insights because he's either beloved or hated. I don't think he's bad, but I think his value is better somewhere else. If Kyle Kuzma was the starting forward without Anthony Davis on the team, I think Kyle Kuzma would average 20 points a game and nine rebounds a game. Hmm. I really do. But because Anthony Davis is there, because LeBron is there, because they're running pick and roll action, because Kyle Kuzma, he's not playing up to his ability because he doesn't have the chance to. So Kyle... Go to Orlando, you know, go to Cleveland, average 22 and nine, get your big payday 
and in turn, give us a guy who we want, who's like a three and D. I would rather have Jay Crowder than Kyle Kuzma, even though Kyle Kuzma is better than Jay Crowder, because we got a guy who play his role. I would like to trade him. And I think we will before the trade deadline. Well, that's good. And then you won't have a guy who was tweeting like COVID half-bake uh, conspiracy theory stuff last week. So <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, <laughs> it's a win-win. It's actually better off for everybody because he wants his big payday. The Lakers are not going to give it to him. I don't know why he doesn't <laughs> see that. So like, go put up numbers and get your big payday. I think talking about trades, I think it's only just that we actually finally talk about breaking news on the podcast for once as opposed to lamenting it. And literally six minutes before we clicked record, John Wall was traded uh, for Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. John Wall in the first round pick That's for Russell. That's big time. Yeah, it's a big time trade and it's a clown show trade. I don't even understand. <laughs> like, like John Wall and James Harden and PJ Tucker and Christian Wood and DeMarcus Cousins. That's your starting lineup? With Eric Gordon coming off the bench, that's your starting lineup? That's terrible. I mean, it's good. It's like a lot of talented players, but I don't know. What is that, the seven seed in the West? Yeah, it's weird. And I think just thinking about two high-profile guys just being traded straight up like that, like, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but I can't remember anything like this since, like, 20 years ago, and it was, like, Jason Kidd for Stephon Marbury. You just don't see it that much. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say Chris Paul for Westbrook a couple years ago. Right. And also, nobody knows what John Wall is going to look like. He has not played in 27 months. Has it been that long? Yeah, because he had the first Jeez. injury, then he had a setback injury where it was it was something embarrassing where he was just like, either during rehab or just like walking around his house. Like it wasn't a basketball-related injury, which set yeah, him back. Yeah, he was and that stepping really over luggage, he said. He said he was stepping over like a bag in his house. You know, it's he, always luggage. I feel like there have been a lot of luggage injuries <laughs> over the years. And, and then the corona thing. So it's like 27 months he hasn't played. Like he could be amazing and come back to it. But so much of John Wall's game was his explosiveness. Is he still going to be the fastest player in the league? I just don't understand the John Wall. It's like, how is it different than Westbrook? John Wall and Westbrook are such similar players. I think that's what makes the trade fun is that for both of them, it was point guards where athleticism is what made them good. And what made them not as good in their most recent years is either injuries or a decline in their athleticism or both. And then also they both got these ridiculous contracts because they were on these teams that didn't really have bright futures. So they gave them the super max to make them stay. And it's just a funny trade because there was always the joke of like, oh, you should just trade him for each other. They're like right. the, basically the same person. And now it happens. So we get to see if it works. Like it's the ultimate like, I don't know. Let's see if this guy works here. See, I think it's really good for Washington. I think Washington has the better team. I'm going to tell you why. Because Bradley Beal can shoot the shit out of the ball. And so you have Bradley Beal, Westbrook, who can't shoot, but he does other things, right? He gives you the same athleticism John Wall gave you. Russell Westbrook's going to go back to his triple-double mode. So now you got a starting lineup of Westbrook, Beal, Davis Bertrands that can shoot the shit out of the ball, Thomas Bryant, and Rui Hachimura, who's really good. That's a good, young, athletic team in the East that I think vies for the number eight seed. And they also, they drafted Denny, right? Didn't the Wizards get Denny? Denny, yes, they did. That's fun. I think they're fighting with Atlanta for the eight seed. Yeah. But off the top of my head right now, team's better than Houston. Lakers, Clippers, Portland, because they just got Covington, who they took away from Houston, and a healthy Nurkic and a healthy Zach Collins, and Melo off the bench, they're good. So Lakers, Clippers, Portland, Denver, Utah, probably Phoenix, and the Mavericks, that's seven. And then like New Orleans is in there. Like New Orleans is good. And then like there's teams like Houston's fighting for the eight. Yeah, that's not a good look for Houston. I mean, is this the immediate impact of not having Daryl Morey at the helm anymore? Like, does he make this trade? He doesn't. But Daryl Morey is the reason why they got rid of Capella for nothing. Like they got rid of Capella for Covington and Covington's gone. <laughs> the things are going to be interesting. It'll be fun to watch. It'll be fun to see how it shakes out. Seeing if James Harden now thrives with no one else wanting to dribble the ball anymore. So it's a big one. It's It's funny to see a trade that is like one of those things people talked about for so long actually happen. And it's just like surprising that it's actually here. Like it's this thing that they joked about and then became rumors. People are like, no way, come on. That's just too convenient. And then now it has happened. Here's the question though. Do we think that in the next couple of days we see a Harden trade now? Do they just blow it up? Uh, I'm torn. So what would it be? Harden to the Nets? Harden to the Nets? Or is it Harden for Ben Simmons? Is it Ben Simmons at the four with John Wall as a pure point guard without get Harden out of the way? And then Harden and Embiid together is kind of nasty. Playing for Doc Rivers. And Daryl Morey, who's now in Philly. That too. 
I don't know. If it's Harden to the Nets, then that young squad would be what? Spencer Dinwiddie, John Wall, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, fucking everybody. <laughs> if, you, if you trade for James Harden, you better give every young player that exists. Yeah, and Kyrie and Durant. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, if Harden gets to the Nets, it'll be peak grumpy boy season. So we'll just have three of the grumpiest boys on the same roster in, you know, a grumpy city and a grumpy market. So it'll just be just a cesspool. I'm excited. If Harden doesn't go to the Nets, if he stays with the Rockets, he's going to average 36 points a game. Yeah, it'll be fun to see Harden and Russ like compete again. You know, we had the one year where they weren't fighting each other for MVP via triple doubles. And now we get that back. So that's we fun. do get that back. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. I like Russell Westbrook getting traded as much as possible because I like angry Russell Westbrook. So if he's just mad at more people and more teams, I think we're all better for I it. I kind of wanted him on the Knicks to play with like a young core where like RJ Barrett is like, give Russ the ball. Everyone's like, give Russ the ball. And Russ is just going for Madison Square Garden, 60 point triple doubles <laughs> every night. Like there's no better fan base for Russell Westbrook than Knicks fans. Cause like Russell goes hundred percent all the time. Knicks expect the hundred percent all the time. And like, I would, I would love that. It was a tough one for me because I personally love Russell Westbrook a whole lot. I knew it was a bad decision. I tweeted about this, but it was basically like, could I sit down and eat a whole pint of ice cream? Yeah, probably. Like I could eat a whole tub myself, <laughs> but like would I regret it later down the road? Yes. Yeah, but in the moment, it'd be really fun. And that first Russell Westbrook year would be great. And then everything else would be bad. Especially the third <laughs> Russell Westbrook year where you're giving him $48 million a year. That's a lot of money. Oh. That's a whole lot of money. Oh my God. God. My favorite thing is is when you say that to people, there's always like that weird downer who's like, yeah, but I mean like after taxes, it's like, it's still $20 million. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> also in Texas and Florida, I think there's no state tax. So And Delaware. Mm -hmm. But then the only thing is you have to live in Delaware. Yeah, no NBA teams there. Washington too, which is why Seattle needs a basketball team again. Seattle really Let's does. make it happen. Some men's really basketball do. team, Mike Schubert. And sorry, sorry. Oh yes. man, I called you out for making that mistake. Yeah, come Good on. Call. I'm glad you got me that back. Shout out to Subert forever. So moving on past basketball stuff to something that has been relevant this particular season, but I hope it is going forward. Based on the back and forth that, that we had with you, that you talk with Adam, it seems like activism is a really big part of your life as well. Yeah. And I think the NBA is really showing that that is something that's important to them. The WNBA has been on top of this for years. So I guess for you in your life, but then also with basketball, how does activism fit into the mix for you? Let me try to not make this a essay long answer, but <laughs> do it, do it. <laughs> so I'm an actor and I grew up with representation issues as my like peak passion. You know, before I started in like activism as far as like Black Lives Matter and how I feel about the police and things like that, it started with a representation conversation. Growing up, I know I'm a child of the late 80s and raised in the 90s and nobody looked like me on television. And when I say nobody, I'm not being hyperbolic or exaggerating. It's truly nobody. The only character that looked like me on television was Apu on The Simpsons, which was a brown-faced stereotype character voiced by a white guy. There really was nobody. And even now, people are like, oh, but it's getting better. I'm like, but is it? Can you name five brown actors on television? Can you name six famous brown actors? You probably can't. I mean, unless you're in the industry, you could probably say Dev Patel and Riz Ahmed and Aziz Ansari and kind of call it a day. And so representation was hard for me. So when I was in Chicago, I was a founding member of a project called the Chicago Inclusion Project, which seeks to level the playing field for women, people of color, LGBTQ populations, and people with disabilities in the industry. I wasn't alone in that venture. There was a lot of other people that do the brunt of the work, but I was, I was part of that original process. And that representation work kept going when I got to LA, working on television and film and trying to find not only more representation, but positive representation. So that I'm not just playing a terrorist or a barefoot, you know, warlord or a cab driver with an accent who's bad with women, but good at math or whatever it is, right? These sort of stereotypes. That led me to looking at the overall system and thinking about Black Lives Matter. Started working with Black Lives Matter in 2012. Started working with police reform, reform LA jails, things like that. When you start getting in the system and unraveling the sort of system that it is, it's all connected and it's all horrible. And then you look at the NBA. I think the NBA has been the best league for it. A couple years ago, they pulled the All-Star game out of Charlotte because of the trans bathroom ban. Even back with Craig Hodges, when he wore a daishiki to the White House with the Jordan Bulls, with the Bush thing, there was, there was controversy there. You know, the NBA is the league that banned Jordan sneakers and they banned black socks, but they sort of got through these things. They had the ban with Allen Iverson's dress code and the tattoos and they got through these things. And now the NBA is the league that has realized we are making money off of the backs of a majority black league with a large black fan base, with a huge international fan base. And the league who's like, we got to let these players speak their mind. And I think Adam Silver has done a great job with it. 
Yeah, Adam Silver's incredible. And I think the fact that he stood up in the way that he did to Donald Sterling and was that decisive and the way he handled that was an immediate like positive for him. I mean, because he was a new commissioner at that like time. Like his second week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, th- <laughs> I think David Stern was a great commissioner as well. But I really think it starts from the top. And you think of who Adam Silver is and what he stands for. And then you think of someone like Roger Goodell. And it could not be more of a stark difference in terms of what their priorities seem to be. Now, obviously, they both want to make a lot of money. They both want their leagues to be successful. But it's interesting that what you said about the NBA is true. And then you look at the NFL, which is also predominantly black. And that is not where they are. No, not at all. Not even like a little bit. And I know that a lot of the NBA owners are the same sort of political beliefs as the NFL owners. But I think there's a little bit of a difference. Like the marquee franchise in the NBA is run by a woman. One of the largest franchises in the NBA is run by an Indian man. Um, Mark Cuban is not a horrible right wing dude. And we have a lot of owners in the NBA that are actually kind of with it. The owners of the Milwaukee Bucks are super progressive. The owners of the Portland Trailblazers are super progressive. Jimmy Dolan. Is a Trumper, but you know, there's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say Mark Cuban is white, but his last name is Cuban. <laughs> he, it is. Mark Cuban is like as close as it gets to an ethical billionaire. I wouldn't say he's quite ethical, but as close as it gets to an ethical billionaire. The Mavs did have a sexual assault they scandal sure did. going through their organization, so not not perfect. And Mark Cuban does a lot of both sidesing that I don't like. Well, he'll be like, both sides mm. are bad, and I'm like, but. One are Nazis and one just want to give us free health care. So let's relax a little and, bit. And for that reason, I'm out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I love it. Uh, so with what the NBA did with the bubble, yeah. was that something that you thought was effective? Do you think that there is stuff they need to do going forward now that it's not the bubble? Like there were some things that I think that were objectively good, like the voting centers that came out in November using all the stadiums is huge. Absolutely. But w- what, from what you saw, was it effective? Do you think there's more to be done? There's always more to be done, but I am a guy who hates, I really hate when people make an effort on something and there's always other people who aren't doing anything being like, eh, what did it really do? Eh, paint on a court. (laughs) Eh, it's a t-shirt with a logo on it. Can I say something? In 2012, I worked on Black Lives Matter. And when you said Black Lives Matter, you immediately got pushback. No brand would imagine putting Black Lives Matter on their stuff. Now you go on television and Nike's like Black Lives Matter and Walmart's like Black Lives Matter and and Lowe's is like Black Lives Matter. And you can go on a website to express.com and it'll be like, because Black Lives Matter. And it's like, that's a difference. That's a change. And that sort of mass reception, mass acceptance, whether they believe it or it's just political, I don't care. That sort of mass sort of acceptance of it is cultural change. So if that's happening just in the eight years since Black Lives Matter started, then great. And like, if people turn on a basketball game and they want to watch Giannis dunk on people, but they still have to watch him cross the Black Lives Matter up and down the court every single day, whether they believe in it or not, it is a little bit of more acceptance. So I don't subscribe to the fact of like, oh, it's just logos. It's just words. Like, it's like, no, it's It's visibility. It's slowly pushing it into the mainstream, and that matters. Yeah, it's a good first step. It's good to see that the players, when the Bucks started it with not playing in their game and then the rest of the games getting suspended at a protest, I think that's what really took it to the next level of more than just putting things on the back of jerseys, putting things on the court, which you're right, they're a start, they're not bad, but they're not necessarily actionable items, when you take that next step to where they added the commercials, they add the voting centers opening up, I think that's that next step where it starts being into things that go beyond just what is presented on the game or in the jerseys or the court. And I hope that that doesn't become just a bubble thing. Like, I hope this is just a forever NBA thing. And it's not just like, oh, we did it in Orlando because whatever. Like, I don't want it to turn into the like the Instagram, like one month where everyone was, you know, good about sharing stuff like it it needs to continue. Continue. Yeah, I'll post the black square and then I'll, I'll call it a day. Absolutely. Ugh, Absolutely. Fuck everyone. <laughs> that yeah. whole thing was so... <laughs> but it does, I think to his point, like it does, it moves the needle. Even if that's the mm-hmm. most that you did. And I don't Absolutely. think that, that is like even close <laughs> to enough. Anything. <laughs> um, it does. It does move the needle in the right direction. And there are a lot of people who like for that month or for June were like, very active and very like trying to better themselves and trying to listen to people and, and trying to like really make an effort. And then as people do, they just kind of went back to their lives. And I, I think everybody is guilty of that to an extent, but it is a different world right now than it was 
before George Floyd. It really is. Like, it's it's amazing Absolutely. that that was the moment that, like, even people who usually wouldn't care were like, no, 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 that is so egregiously wrong that now we're finally realizing, like, oh, yeah, this is a problem, and it's been a problem. Um, and that was, I think, kind of the most amazing part of this whole year is that there genuinely were people who were like, I just didn't know. Like, I just, I had no idea that this was happening. For the people who realized that and then made an effort to learn about it, I think that's a big deal. Yeah, and I agree. Like, if you're just doing one thing or just saying Black Lives Matter, even if you put a statement on your website and don't do any actionable change, even if, like, all the NBA did was, like, the paint on the court and didn't do anything else, which isn't true, but even if that's the case, I agree. You can always do more, but I think about the person in, like, Ohio who's like, oh, I'm not political, I don't see color, I don't do this, you know, like, that person. If they see that their nurse says Black Lives Matter and their dentist says Black Lives Matter and their lawyer says Black Lives Matter and then their teacher puts BLM on their Instagram square, all of a sudden, I think it makes you go, God, what am I missing? Let me look into it. Even if it sparks mm -hmm. you to, like, read an article, great. It's those little tiny imperceptible changes is what creates a mass cultural shift. Because then all of a sudden you go, yeah, maybe it's not a terrorist organization since my lawyer, who I really like a lot, put a black square. Let me read about it, you know? If that works, great. And if it doesn't happen, no harm done. But I really don't like people who critique the method of protest but don't have a critique for the thing that people are protesting. It's like, oh, my God, you guys are burning a CVS. But okay, cool. Are you going to say anything about the cops who killed 600 black men and none of them have gone to jail this year? Like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, did you see those those windows got broken? Those windows had feelings. Yeah. Buildings are people, too. Yeah. Well, I don't want to make light of it, but I mean, CVS's do burn more easily than any other store because the receipts are just so long. There's so much <laughs> there's so much paper. There's just too much paper in there. It's a tinderbox. A real comedian. This is good. <laughs> this is good. Those receipts are ridiculous. I mean, I'm sometimes late. Like if I got them to CBS because I got to run and it takes 14 seconds for the receipt to like print out. I'm like, I got to go. Keep the receipt. <laughs> My God. Oh. Now, as far as your your work as an actor, and obviously that, uh, <laughs> I don't have to tell you how, how drastically that industry has been impacted by COVID. Like, what are you able to do in this moment? How how have you been able to like kind of balance being an actor, being an activist and, and kind of making those like coalesce into one one thing? Well, because of George Floyd and, and the sort of the second Black Lives Matter resurgence that happened in 2020, I've been working actively with some of the founders of Black Lives Matter uh, this year. Um, I've been doing a lot of conversations with um police officers, which have been really tough. Um, some of them are on my Instagram, you can watch. They're tough. Um, but as far as an actor, I started writing. I've been creating my own content for a long time, but you know, I've always created the ideas and I've created the pitch decks and I've created the documents, but I never actually like wrote the script. And so in this quarantine, I wrote a pilot and I'm like, oh, like everybody else, and I now have a pilot. So I said to my manager recently, I said, hey, I'm one of those actors now who has a pilot like everybody else. And he was like, you know, Every actor has a pilot idea. Not every actor wrote the pilot. So that is what I've done. I'm working on getting that produced, bought, sold, whatever it is. And acting is kind of shut down. Yeah. And and the industry has changed in, in more ways than people realize is that every actor has sort of dropped a level of what they will do. So an actor who used to only do leads is like, well, I need to make insurance. So now I will do guest stars. And an actor who only does guest stars is now like, I will do co-stars. And actors, you know, who are at the co-star level are like, I will do stand-in work. And it's like everybody has sort of like dropped a level of what they're willing to do. Yeah, not to mention the fact, especially in New York, there's also the entire world of Broadway actors and theater actors who now Absolutely. don't have that as an avenue and like are in that same pool with everybody else auditioning. So I, I've, I've been trying to rationalize with myself as I continue to audition for things and sometimes, you know, don't hear back or often don't hear back, be like, well, I don't think I'm doing bad work. I think it's just no. even more competitive than it was before. Absolutely. It's incredibly more competitive than it was before. And another thing I think about is you could be a millionaire actor. You could be an actor with three homes and a Malibu vacation home. But if you don't make $25,000 in a year, you don't get health insurance. So people often forget this. Like, even right. an actor who's an A-list actor and has millions of dollars still needs to make his $26,000 a year or her $26,000 a year to get health insurance. So everyone's willing to do projects. A lot of actors aren't making health insurance, both for Broadway with equity, where you have to do 19 weeks of work in a year to get a year of health insurance. And then with SAG, we have to do $26,000 worth of work in order to get health insurance for the following year. So think about 2021. No, no one is going to have made the $26,000 in 2020 because it's shut down March 15th. No one had the yeah. chance to make the money or literally 19 weeks like no one got the 19 weeks so no one's going to have health insurance it's a it's going to be a problem next year for artists and of course we don't have a government willing to help us hopefully we'll be closer to having that soon let's just get georgia <laughs> yes yeah that's that's gonna be a big one let's get georgia 
first step, and then let's spend the next four years trying to push Biden into a place where he's helping people. Just going to be nice to not have to like actively fight against the devil and just fight against a guy who like doesn't want to help people as much as he should. It'll be a nice change of pace. Today, there was a press release from Biden's dog. It was a joke press release, and it was hilarious, and it was pointless, and I fucking loved it. And it was so refreshing. I just like how boring he is. I'm like, thank God. Like, you're not going to start. But I, yeah, I will. I will welcome boring right yeah, now. Right. That's the thing. It's just the change. So before we uh, wrap up here, how can people find you? Where would you like people to look you up? This is your time to plug stuff. Okay. Um, I'm at Bezadabu on Twitter and Instagram. Let me spell that. That's B-E-H-Z-A-D-D-A-B-U on Twitter and Instagram. I post a lot of content on both sites. A lot of NBA takes on Twitter. Uh, I am doing an audio play with Studio Theater called I Hate It Here, which is ready to be, I think, streamed or listened to or downloaded. I don't actually quite know how it works, but it's on the Studio Theater website uh, in D.C. Um, I think that's available December 10th. That's a new play by Ike Holter with a really awesome cast. And I, I think it's about the end of the world. Okay. <laughs> and where can people follow your uh, NBA burner accounts? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> I am Kevin Durant, 8642-1932. I am uh, Colangelo. At- <laughs> yes. Oh, that Colangelo one with like his wife or something. That mm-hmm. was a crazy story that like sort of died. That's what started Horse. That is what started this podcast was me and Eric Silver, the original co-host, were like, we want to talk to our friends about this, but not enough. If our friends like basketball, let's start horse. <laughs> that story just died. That's going to be a podcast on 30 for 30 yeah. in like three years. Oh, for sure. When they get more information out of it, yeah, that'll be something for sure. Okay, let me just say this, because this is this blows my mind every time I think about this. So Bill Russell in the 50s and 60s, okay, might be the most famous black man in the country, one of them, but he's definitely the most famous black man in Boston. Not only was he winning a crazy amount of championships, but he was also player coach. Boston is an incredibly segregated and racist city, especially in the 50s and 60s. So now you got a bunch of white 50s and 60s American Boston racists wearing Bill Russell's jersey on their back, paying good money to go sit in an arena and cheer for this man. Yeah. They win a championship and Bill Russell has to enter the four seasons at the back door. Think about that. Think just like think about the layers of that. It's like you guys wear his jersey with his name on your back. You cheer for him. You root for him. Your kids want to be him, but he has to enter the back after he wins your city a championship. Like what? I mean, it's not. It's no secret that Boston is a. It's a pretty racist place. It's the the south of the north, if you will. And. Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in 1947. The Red Sox did not have a black player until 1959. They were the last team to integrate. 12 years later. And this has been a big thing this year yeah. as as a lot of people have that same like, oh, why do we have to be hearing about politics? I just want sports to be sports. Um, that's not how this works. That's not how humans are. And it's a ridiculous expectation that people have. And, and I'm embarrassed to admit that I do still watch football, but Lance Briggs, who is a very good uh, former bear, he tweeted something this year to the effect of like, it's amazing how many people still have the ability to compartmentalize and actively root for black athletes, but do not give a shit about what that person or that person's family has to deal with every single day. And not just athletes, right? Your favorite actor is Will Smith and you love the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and you listen to Kanye West, pre-Kanye West, and you listen to Jay-Z and you love Beyonce and like, think about how much of our culture is people of color, right? You can't just take all of the culture you like and ignore the literal systemic oppression and death of a people. And like, even in 1976, when the ABA merged with the NBA, one of the reasons why the NBA was against it was because they thought there would be no competition. They would just destroy the ABA teams and it would ruin the product. How little were they, you know, when Dr. J came in and started dunking (laughs) on their fucking faces? Like, but they were like, ah, you know, those guys can't play. It's a bunch of between the legs dribbling. You know, they don't know how to really play. And it's like, (laughs) uh, that was 1976. Like, that is not that long ago. Kobe Bryant was born two years later. Like, that is not that long ago. So, anyway. I love being on here with you guys. Thank you for having me. Dude, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you got anything else, Mike? Uh, final question to round it out. Adam and I both threw for bad teams, the Bulls and the Knicks. Which one do you think wins a championship first? Whoa. <laughs> That's such a good question because they're nightmare franchises. <laughs> and I'm from those states. Like I was like raised in New York and lived in Chicago for 11 years. Um uh, it's and impossible fans to talk to. Well, I you talked to I, us for forty yeah, minutes. Yeah, I so. feel like we're pretty we're pretty affable. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. That's good. Good, good for you guys. Actually, you're the two great ones. Um, uh, neither of those two teams will make the playoffs this year. Oh, I've, we're talking twenty years okay. from now at the early. So here's the thing. 
The Bulls have a better core, and what is really exciting about the Bulls is they just got that dude, I don't want to say his name wrong, it's like Arturis Kamanis from Denver as a new GM, mm-hmm. and Denver did a great job building their team, as we can see, and they just signed him, I think, last year, so let's give him a chance. Mm-hmm. The problem is, NBA is going to be like, oh, well, he's been on here for three years and he hasn't done anything. He has Otto Porter locked into $30 million. He has Thomas Sadoransky locked in at $12 million. He's got Cristiano Felicio locked in at $8 million. That's $8 million too many. And he's got Thaddeus Young locked in at $15 million. So Otto Porter, Thad Young, Cristiano Felicio, and Thomas Sadoransky are being paid more than LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Not a good look. Um, so I don't know what he can do about that. Like he, they signed him last year, but like that's what he's got. So until those contracts expire, we can't really judge him on what he's going to be able to do. But the thing about the Knicks is they got so much money at the end of this year. If they can finally get somebody, but they're never going to do it because nobody wants to play for Dolan. And I got a hot tip. The reason why the Knicks don't get free agents is because this is a big deal. People don't think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal. The facilities in White Plains, and they play games in mm-hmm. Manhattan. You don't want to live in White Plains, but you don't want to be commuting every day to your practice facility. If they would just build a facility in Manhattan, they would get more free agents. Kevin Durant said as much. He was like, I don't like the lifestyle. I worked this hard to make this much money so that I can live in Manhattan and like enjoy it, not live in White Plains. And so until they build a facility in Manhattan... High free agencies are not going to go there. Interesting. Tiny thing, right? But if you think about it, like, would you, if you're a free agent, like, do you want to, like, live in White Plains? Do you want to, like, spend three hours a day commuting? No. The only difference I'll say is if I'm a multi-million dollar basketball player, uh, much like the song by the rapper whose name I can't recall at the time, uh, I would just Uber everywhere. I'm not worried about hopping on a train if I'm worth- It's time, though. But yeah, it is time. It's so much time just being lost in White Plains. And I'm like, Jimmy Dolan, you're a billionaire. Build a facility. Buy out a YMCA and upgrade it in Manhattan. Buy out anything. You think commercial real estate is dead. Buy anywhere in New York right Ooh, now and build a basketball time. facility. Why not buy a lifetime fitness? They already have the courts where the players play at anyway. Just buy a fucking lifetime fitness and call it a day. You know, the Lakers, there's a rich guy in Beverly Hills who has a Staples Center replica court in his backyard. It's covered, air conditioned and heated. Staples Center replica with two locker rooms, a Clippers locker room and a Lakers locker room in his backyard. He's a billionaire. That's where the Lakers practice. That's not fair. That's not fair that people are that rich and can do that. They actually have, I mean, they obviously have a facility in Segundo with the weight room and everything like that. But like when LeBron wants to like get together with players, they practice at this place. Absurd. It's insane to me. It's insane to me. So anyway. All right. This was dope. I love you guys. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Oh, love you too, buddy. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Adam Mamawala. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The website is by Kelly Beckman. The art is by Allison Wakeman. And the music is by Bettina Campamanis. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Adam Hartwick, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Catherine Lee, Siobhan Ellsbury, Shooby Dooby Doo, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells, Laurent James, Matt Barger, NBA legend Robert Sacri, No Jazz, No Pizza, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, and Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls. Follow us on Facebook. Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Because Horse Hoops, the Twitter account, was shooting three-pointers with Dikembe Mutombo and the announcers got so mad at them that they banished the account. What is he doing? How dare he? (laughs) Head to our website, horsehoops.com, for pictures of NBA City jerseys and everything else we talked about. Mm -hmm. And a huge shout out to Multitude for having us on the collective. Always good to be a part of it. And there's a bunch of fun episodes of all the shows that you can listen to. Spirits, Potterless, Next Stop. There's so many fun things that you can listen to. Check it all out right now at multitude.productions. And if you want more bonus content at patreon.com slash horsehoops, five on five, overtime. Adam and I are bringing more content. We're catching up on missed things over the course of December and into January. So it'll be all good to go there. And you can get your horse jerseys and stickers and physical items as well. All of that lives at patreon.com slash horsehoops. But as we round out this episode, We will do so as we always do by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three in honor of the San Antonio Spurs finally bringing colors back into the mix. Their Fiesta jerseys. I just want to scream Fiesta on the count of three. I'm on board. All right. One. Wait, hold on. Oh, should we do Uno, Uno, dos, dos, tres? tres, Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uno, dos, tres. Fiesta! Fiesta! I'm so excited. I hope 
this will bring them into the world where it's a full Fiesta jersey, where it's not just the stripes, but the whole thing is pink, teal, and gold. I would love it. I would love it as well. And uh, listen, if you haven't been to San Antonio, some of the best Mexican food you'll ever eat in your life. So Fiesta, Fiesta. So good.